why Silicon Valley Bank failed, and what does it mean for you? What lessons can we learn? Hello, welcome to Financial Life Planning. I'm your host, Mike Morton, and unfortunately, Matt is not here today, so it's going to be a solo episode with just me. And I wanted to go over, because I wanted to get this out and go over why Silicon Valley Bank failed SVB. Uh, went down. And I know you've read the news already, you know a lot about this, but really I want to take the angle of what can we learn? What does it mean for you as an individual investor, as a busy parent? What lessons can we take away from this? So I'm going to split this podcast into three sections, what I feel is the most important to maybe the least important, but if you're interested. So the first is, what does this mean for you? What lessons can we learn from this? What takeaways should we take? What can you do today to protect yourselves in the future? The second thing is why did it fail? I'm sure you've read a lot about this, but I'll try to break that down into some plain English. Why did Silicon Valley Bank go down? And third, why do long-term bonds go down, lose value when interest rates go up? So the last year, the Fed has been raising interest rates, which means bonds have gone down in value. And I want to explain why that is. It's a mathematical equation. It is a pretty simple logic, but I wanted to go into that again. So let's take first things first. What does this mean for you? What lessons can we learn from this episode? I've got five things that we can take away here. The first is that single stocks are very risky. This is not a bailout. Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, the shareholders, the management, that own, the ownership of that business are not getting bailed out. So they have lost all of that money. If you had shares in SVB, that has gone to zero. And what we can take away from that is single stocks, single investments, single businesses are very risky. They can go to zero. We know this from Enron. I oh, remember Enron or pets, pets.com back in 2000. So this definitely happens. It's a thing. And we gloss over it most of the time, unless you were involved and had a significant portion of money in one of those businesses. But single investments are very risky. They can go to zero. And this is why I love to use low cost index funds, spread that risk across thousands of companies, both here in the US and internationally. So we're not going to necessarily hit those home runs. We're not going to get something doubling within a week or two. But at the same time, it's not going to go to zero. And that's a big deal. The second point, does FDIC insurance, does it matter? You know that you only insured up to 250000 per account type, per owner. There's some details. If you have over that amount, if you're lucky enough to have millions of dollars, does it matter if you have that sitting in one bank? Is that important? Obviously, the government stepped in and backed all the clients or customers of SVB to make them whole, even if they had more than the 250 that was insured. So I think this does and doesn't matter. I think it's important to be aware of where you have money and spreading it across different banks, especially looking at local banks. Just there's, again, you have your money in one institution. And if you're literally holding it in cash in that bank, it could be a problem. If you have investments spread out, that's a different matter. And I'll talk about that in a second. So it's not, oh my gosh, I've got 1.5 million in Fidelity. Is that going to be a problem? Depends how much is in actual cash, okay? That really matters. And when you talk about Fidelity and Vanguard and Schwab's, those institutions probably fall under that too big to fail. So I'd be less concerned about that. So I'm still not super concerned about FDIC insurance. I think it's good to be aware of. 
depending on where you have your money. If you have a lot of money in a local credit union, a very local bank, yeah, that could be something you really want to take a look at. If it's one of these massive institutions, a Vanguard, a TD, a Schwab, a Fidelity, I'd be less concerned, but I still think you want to get that into some investments, which leads me to number three, use government money market funds. Now, when you're holding some cash, if it's not invested in the stock market or into a big bond portfolio or something, you've got that cash ready available. Many of the larger brokerages have money market funds. Now, I highly recommend using these, especially today, because you can get over 4% interest on using the funds. So rather than the cash in your local bank account, put that cash at a Fidelity, Vanguard, Schwab, and use the money market funds. And I'm specifically like the government money market funds. They pay a little bit less interest, but they're fully backed by government treasuries and US bonds, all of that. So they're a little bit better, you know, the prime, you'll see prime money market funds and government money market funds. I was always sort of agnostic um, and the prime does pay a little bit better, but now I'm leaning towards maybe using the government money market funds just to have the full faith and backing of the US government and you're losing just a little bit of interest for having that. Third thing, what about all the stocks, or sorry, fourth thing, fourth if we're keeping track. What about all the stocks that you own at that Fidelity or Vanguard? Is that gonna be trouble if one of those institutions start getting in trouble? Or maybe it's a smaller institution. I keep picking those really big names, but there's lots of different brokerages. So what if you have some investments held at that brokerage? Whatever you own is still yours. Now, there's another insurance called SIPC insurance, and that is for your investments, and it's good up to 500000 But that's really for fraud, all right? So if someone, you know, said, hey, here's your bank statement, like a Madoff said, oh, here's, you got 500000 with me, here's your bank statement, and he really didn't have it. It literally is just fraud. Then you're protected up to 500000 for that. So I'm not really talking about that side of things, but if you own individual stocks, or you own ETFs, or you own mutual funds, you own that thing produced by that company. If you own a Vanguard mutual fund, and if you hold it at some brokerage like M1 Finance, or you hold it at one of these smaller places, blanking on names at the moment, but if it's not held at Vanguard, but you own a Vanguard mutual fund, then that's produced by Vanguard. You own a thing, you own that in your name. And if Vanguard gets in trouble, then you might be in trouble. Okay, because it's a Vanguard mutual fund. It's a product produced by Vanguard. So that's where you want to be careful of. I'm always careful of ETFs and mutual funds. Who's the producer? Is it a Vanguard, a Black, BlackRock? Those would be those iShare funds. Is it a Fidelity fund? Is it a Schwab ETF that we're using? So be aware of who's producing that product because that's what you're buying into and that's what you hold. And you do own that. So if you own an individual stock, you're going to be the owner of that stock no matter where you hold it. And finally, the fifth thing, your cash. What else can we learn from this? Make sure you have your cash invested, earning some money. I just talked about that, but I was shocked to hear how many companies had just hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in SVB, not even invested in any way, just literally sitting in cash. Now, maybe SVB was paying them two, three, 4%. I don't know. But usually banks are paying like one or 2% okay, of interest on your money. And like I told you earlier, on money market funds, you can get four or 5% right now. So Roku had over 485 million in cash. 
And even if they could earn an extra 1%, they didn't have it sitting in SVB, if they just put it into a money market fund like I just referenced, they could be making over $5 million a year of just interest. $13,000 a day, just sitting there, $13,000 a day at just 1% extra interest, rather than having the cash just sitting there. So do not have your cash just sitting around. Now, if you, you're working cash, I get it, 10, 20, 30, 40,000, money in, money out. That's what your paycheck gets deposited and you're paying your credit cards. Of course, all that stuff. But if you have emergency funds or other cash, do not just have it sitting literally in cash in your local bank account, earning that one or 2%. Make sure you're getting at least 4% on that money. So those are the five things that we can learn from this failure. Now, as I told you, the next segment, I'm gonna go into why specifically did SVB fail? Are you ready to create your ideal lifestyle? Let's discover what's most important to you and design a plan to have more of that in your life. Go to meetmikemorton.com. All one word, meetmikemorton.com. So why did Silicon Valley Bank fail? Remember that a bank is just like any other business. It's a business. So think of it that way. Don't think of it as a bank and I put money in and my money is held there and then I get money out. That's how you're used to using a bank. But a bank is a business. So think of it that way. So if I'm going to start a business and I'm going to call this thing a bank, I'm going to have some products and services for my clients that they can hand me money. I might even get some interest. I'll give them a free checking so they can write checks for access to their money. So there's all these products and services as part of the business of a bank. Now, if I'm starting a bank, how am I going to make money on my business? I want my business to be successful, this business I'm gonna start. And so I want to make money in my business year in and year out. My one major thing that I can use is cash that people are giving me. That's a, I have services that I'm providing, but people give me cash and they're gonna want it back eventually. But in the meantime, I might have millions of dollars and maybe I can use that to make money. That's a way that banks make money. So let's talk about specifics. Let's say Julie, my friend Julie, lends me $10,000 because I say I'll give her 100, 100 bucks a year. So she thinks, oh, this is good. I've got 10,000 sitting around. I'd love, to, I'd love a free 100 bucks a year. So Mike, here's $10,000 and I give her $100 a year. That's, and she says, great. And I say, oh my gosh, Julie, thank you so much, but you are a sucker, my friend because I'm gonna take your 10,000 and I'm gonna invest it somewhere else. Let's call this a US Treasury bond. And I'm gonna take your 10,000 and I'm gonna get $200 a year from investing it. So I'm, I got an easy 100 bucks a year for doing no work. I just turn around, take the 10,000, invest it in Treasury. I'm getting 200 a year and I'm paying Julie 100 a year. Boom, I am making money, this is good, I love this. Julie comes back to me a year later and she says, oh no, my kids need braces. Oh boy. And I need that $10,000 back. This, this is, life is not so great as I thought. I'm going to need my 10000 And I'm just like, I don't actually have your 10000 I don't have your 10000 The thing I invested in, it, it's now only worth 9000 I turn around and look and it's worth 9000 It's gone down in value. How do I give Julie's $10,000 back? I was making 200 a year, paying her 100 a year, but she wants everything back now. And that U.S. Treasury went from 10000 that I originally purchased. It's only worth 9000 now. If I need to get Julie's money back to her, I can only pay her 9000 All right? So that's how SVB went down. It was simple as that. A whole bunch of people wanted their money. 
SVB turned around and said, oh, let's give them their money back. Oh, we don't have the cash because we're making money. We're in a business of making some money for us and our shareholders and our employees to pay our employees and everything. And what we invested these millions of dollars into had gone down in value. They, you've read this. They were medium term, long term U.S. government bonds. They went down in value, so they couldn't redeem. They had to redeem them. They had not $10,000, only 9000 And so they couldn't pay back all their customers. So that's literally how it failed. It's called a bank run. Everyone wants their money at the same time. And suddenly, oops, we don't have the money because we're in the business of trying to use those deposits to make more money, to have a business. And so the question is, well, there's a few questions. Of course, banks are regulated. So there's all kinds of rules specifically around that business. So why did that happen? I'm going to leave that alone for now. But why do long-term bonds go down? Why did SVBs, you, you know, backed by the U.S. government and seems like very safe. Why did those bonds, why were they worth less as interest rates have gone up? So that's the third segment. So hopefully that makes sense. Why SVB actually failed. Everyone's trying to get their money. I'm running a business called a bank and to make money, I used all that. And so I just literally don't have it at the moment. And unfortunately, what I used it for hasn't gone up in value, that would be easy. Sell it, everyone makes a profit, but it didn't, it went down in value. So we'll go into why do long-term bonds go down when interest rates go up? So why do the long, medium-term or long-term bonds go down when interest rates go up? Remember that a bond is an IOU. So I'm lending some money to somebody and they're gonna, they're gonna pay me back some interest payments and then they're gonna pay me back the money I lent at the end. That's typically how these things work. Now you're used to it from maybe a mortgage. The bank has lent you $200,000 and you're gonna pay it back over 30 years. Now that's amortized so that you pay equal payments over 30 years. And the word amortized means that the interest and the principal is all getting paid back over the 30 years. And it's just a math equation to figure out what are those equal payments so that at 5% interest on $200,000 and you're paying it down over time, so the principal goes down, so the interest payments actually go down, but a math equation, you can figure out equal payments over a period of time, 30 years, and you're paying the principal and interest. Typically, the way bonds work, when you talk about investing in bonds, government bonds, company bonds, what it is, you're gonna give them the money and you're only gonna get interest back. So it's interest only, and then you're gonna get all the money back at the end. So if I invest $10,000 at 1%, I might get $100 a year, and then in five years, I get all 10,000 back, okay? So that's how these typically work. So why do the value of that bond, that $10,000 bond, that one thing that I purchased for 10,000, why does it go down as interest rates go up? Here's the story. Let's say three years ago, I have $10,000 and I go to the market and I buy a golden egg, all right? And the golden egg gives me $100 a year. So I purchase a golden egg for 10,000 and for the next 10 years, I get $100 a year from the egg and at the end, I'm going to get my 10,000. I'm gonna give it back and get my 10,000. So this is great. For the next 10 years, I'm getting $100 a year. Instead of just having that 10,000 sitting under my mattress, I now have a golden egg. So I got this golden egg, give me a hundred bucks a year. It's awesome. Well, that was three years ago. And fast forward to today, and I've saved another 10,000 of cash. So I go back to the market and now they've got platinum eggs. 
And I was like, whoa, platinum eggs, what does that do? Platinum egg, 400 bucks a year. Okay, so give me, you know, buy it for 10,000, the platinum egg. I'm gonna get $400 a year for the next 10 years. Then I bring the platinum egg back and I get my 10,000 back. Oh, this is so good, it's so good. So I grab a platinum egg. So now I've got a gold egg that I got three years ago. I've got a platinum egg, I got two eggs and I'm getting 500 a year from my two eggs. Now I'm thinking, man, I wish I had two platinum eggs right? The gold egg cost me 10,000. The platinum egg cost me 10,000. I want another platinum egg. So I go to my friend, Matt, who's not here today. So I can say, Matt, this is a great deal. I've got this golden egg. It gives you hundred bucks a year. You want hundred bucks a year? Of course I want hundred bucks a year. Cool. Give me 10, give me $10,000 and I'll give you this gold egg. So I'm thinking to myself, I'll get the 10,000. I can grab another platinum egg. Matt, give me 10,000 and I'll give you this golden egg, get a hundred bucks a year. And in seven years, you're gonna get all 10,000 back. Now, Matt gets a little bit wise to this. He says, wait a minute, for 10,000, you wanna sell me the gold egg for 10,000, but I know this market. And for the same 10,000, I can get a platinum egg and I'm gonna get my 400 bucks a year, not your Peasley, 100 bucks a year. So your gold egg, Mike, is not worth 10,000, all right, because it's only giving me 100 bucks a year. And today, I can go get a platinum egg. So I'll give you, say, 9,000. Because the 100 bucks a year, I'll give you 9,000 now. I'm going to get my 100 bucks a year. And then in seven years, I'll get my 10,000. So I only invest 9,000, 100 bucks a year, 10,000 when I get it later. So I'm, that, that sounds like a pretty decent deal to me. So now you can see that Matt says, my gold egg I got a few years ago that I paid 10,000 for in today is only worth 9,000. And that's exactly how the bonds go down in value as interest rates rise. When you can get 4% interest, 400 bucks a year, that thing a few years ago where you were getting 1% interest, it's just not worth 10,000 anymore. It's only worth say 9,000. Again, it's a math equation. Seven more years at 1%, plus $10,000 at the end is worth how much? Given today, I can put in, I can get 4% over 10 years. All right, so now you can see some of the numbers in the math. So bonds and interest rates always move up and down opposite. So when interest rates rise, bond values fall. And the opposite is also true. As interest rates drop, the value of your bonds goes up. Now, is it that simple? Sometimes, yes, if you have very short bonds. If they're due in a week or a month, this is exactly how it works. Money market funds fluctuate very much, I wouldn't say lockstep, but within four weeks or so, it flows through. So as the Fed raises rates, then that money market's gonna dip in value a little bit, but then it's going to be making more interest, all right? Medium and longer bonds fluctuate more with those interest rates. So a 30-year bond, interest rates change by 1%. A 30-year bond is going to move up and down in value a lot faster to that change. It's more sensitive to the change. So medium and longer-term bonds are more sensitive to changes in interest rates. And now hopefully that small example shows you why my golden egg that I bought for 10,000 is now only worth $9,000. And that's how SVB got in trouble. Thanks for joining us on Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. 
If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me at LinkedIn or mortonfinancialadvice.com. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have a comment or question, please email me at financialplanningpod at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered for investment advice. Opinions expressed as are of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. We do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the data presented here.